Welcome to the LIPN Podcast, brought to you by the members of the Long Island Professional Network, where business professionals come to grow. Thank you for listening. My name is Mara Loeschner, and I am the Marketing and Communications Consultant and Podcast Producer for Smith Douglas Associates. If you live in New York State, you've probably heard of Governor Cuomo's proposed Cannabis Act. This bill has pushback from both the left and the right. But what exactly is the Cannabis Act, and how does it change current laws? I reached out through the Long Island Professional Network to speak to criminal attorney Daniel Johnston of Johnston Law to ask about this new legislation. Oh my God, welcome to the wacky world of weed in New York. There is a lot more to unpack here than I ever imagined. So let's hear from Daniel on why, among other things, you really need to keep that brownie under wraps. Thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I heard there's some interesting legislation being introduced by Governor Cuomo about marijuana. What's what's all that about? Sure. So Cuomo has indicated his intention to pass a complete overhaul of the way that New York state law treats marijuana. Uh, he's been prompted by basically competition. The, the neighboring states uh, either have or are moving towards legalized marijuana. Massachusetts is starting to implement its plan. They legalized and started taxing even recreational use. New Jersey is moving forward with their own plans to do so under a similar model. And so at this point, part of it really is about avoiding the continued flight of people out of New York, either for industrial purposes to take advantage of the market or recreational purposes to take advantage of the market. So they are starting to revisit some long antiquated laws regarding how marijuana is treated. He intended to get it put into this year's budget bill, but that is looking less and less likely due to gripes from kind of both sides of the aisle in relation to the specifics of the bill to the point where it's no longer likely it's going to push through this session, but it's very likely that once the kinks have been worked out that it will be passed next year. What changes does this bill bring into what New York currently has on the books? Sure, New York already had some more Well, prior to the 10 other states and D.C. having legalized marijuana, New York did have one of the more progressive view towards marijuana. As it stands now, if you're caught with a small quantity of marijuana, it's treated as a decriminalized violation. What you're charged with under the penal law, which is 221.05, that's the, the subsection, under that, you're only looking at a $100 fine if it's your first offense or a $200 fine if it's your second offense. And in some more extreme cases, an end result of possibly 15 days in jail. That's versus misdemeanors, which if you're caught selling marijuana, if you have over a certain quantity of it or you're using it in public, you can still be charged with misdemeanor crimes. And once you get into the larger amounts, pounds we're talking, then of course those are still felonies. Uh, As it stands now, It's a bit of a unique thing, especially in Nassau County with how they're treating it. Nassau is unique. As opposed to other counties in the state, Nassau is one of the only ones that does not have their own drug lab. They don't do their own testing. 
they did up until a few years ago when there was really a lot of terrible practices that were brought to light about the drug lab and resulted in a number of overturned convictions. So what they do now is they ship out their samples to an outside lab that's located in Pennsylvania and it's an outside contractor and it takes some amount of time to get it done. So the reality of the situation is that if someone is charged with a 220 it's a violation which means the people need to be able to prosecute within 30 days if the defendant is demanding an immediate trial. Fact of the matter is they can't ship out the samples out to an outside lab, get the test done and have it back within that time frame. Only if it was a major case and they would be expending thousands of dollars of county resources to do so based on a crime that only at its worst has a $200 fine. It's just not something that happens. So between that and the fact that the government has clearly indicated its uh, intention to move towards a more open view on marijuana, what's happening is the DA is properly, I would say, acting very leniently with the lower end marijuana offenses. There's a specific provision in the criminal procedure law that's unique to marijuana offenses, the misdemeanor and the violation level offenses. It's called 17056. It's an adjournment and contemplation of dismissal that is specific only to marijuana crimes. And a defendant, if it's their very first arrest, is entitled to one as a matter of right. So if they get arrested for a low-level marijuana crime and they go before a judge, they will get granted an adjournment and contemplation of dismissal, which means if they stay out of trouble for a year pursuant to that statute, the case will be dismissed and it's gone. What started happening is that it's starting to be ignored whether or not it's your first offense with, with low-level marijuana violations or not. The DA is offering them regardless, to a degree. If you have someone who's got multiple felonies on their record, multiple misdemeanor convictions, then they're going to take a bit of a harder stance. But if all you've ever been caught with is, let's say you've been arrested two, three, four times with a small quantity of marijuana, you're more than likely still going to wind up getting an ACO day. So it's, it's become a very lenient environment in terms of marijuana, and I think that's also connected to the fact that the government is clearly moving towards legalizing it, and people really shouldn't be punished for, for happening to commit something that is today a crime, but the head of the state has specifically said it's not going to be a crime within a short amount of time. Isn't there a part of the new regulation that will let counties and large cities opt out? There absolutely is, and there's been some stirring already in Nassau County specifically that they might intend to opt out. I don't believe that that is a smart thing to do. Suffolk County, Queens County, they both are pretty clearly leaning towards not opting out. They want to take full advantage. And if Nassau County decides out of some moral standpoint to sit out, they're really throwing dollars away. It's not as if people aren't going to take the Long Island Railroad into Queens. It's not as if they're not going to drive out to Suffolk to get it. And if the real thing that worries people is that we're concerned about people driving while they're under the influence of drugs, the fact is you're almost pushing them to do so by putting the available substances far away when it could be here and they can take it to their home and use it safely. One of the things that is part of this bill I see is taxation of marijuana sales and production. How is that going to generate income for the state? Sure. This would be, over the course of the next few years, multiple billions of dollars in revenue for the state. Really for something that 
is a market that already exists, they're just not getting a piece of the pie. And they're going to regulate it in a couple different ways, and it's going to be taxed at a few different levels. There's a somewhat complicated formula for taxes that the manufacturers will pay that's related to their levels of production. But the tax that most people are really going to see is there's a 20% state tax proposed and a 2% local tax proposed that would more directly and obviously affect what prices you're paying. That amount is not astronomical. It is very similar to the law that's been proposed in New Jersey. It's almost identical to the structure that they're using in Massachusetts, which has a slightly different split up. I believe they're paying 17% state tax and 3% local tax. Uh, but it's very, very similar. And I think that's a good level of tax to have, where if you under tax it, you're not getting the benefit for the public that's part of the reason for the bill but if you overtax it you're just going to end up sending people straight back to the underground markets where they're currently getting it and then you still don't get the benefit of the tax is any part of the bill on quality control just in case a dispensary tries to sell you a baggie of oregano instead <laughs> understood uh there is there is there's going to be an entire new department that's created specific to the manufacture and distribution of marijuana. Exactly how that's going to shake out and look like and what powers they're going to have, whether they'll have subpoena power, whether they'll have their own ability to enforce the laws as opposed to having to hand off the case to the attorney general or to a specific other agency, that remains to be seen. But Cuomo has indicated that it's going to involve the creation of an entire new state agency which is what it is and I, I personally I'm of the belief that you could fold this into the state liquor authority and just expand what they have going on already but we're in New York and we like to spend extra money. With the legalization of this what happens to people who are already in jail? Sure uh, that's a great question and that's that's one of the issues in contention right now with uh, as I mentioned, there's people on both sides of the aisle who have problems with this bill. You have people on the right who are taking a moral standpoint against it and saying this is a gateway drug, XYZ. We don't want our state to be almost endorsing the use of this versus the criticism from the left is really coming from a place of they want stronger safeguards in place to ensure that the communities who have been most disproportionately affected by the somewhat draconian laws of the past to get the benefit of this new market opening up. Another issue that the left is having is that it is not at this stage clearly spelled out what will happen to people who already have marijuana convictions. And that is something that needs to be addressed. Several smaller communities in the state are already taking action preemptively. Not too long ago, it was right around the end of December, early January, the Brooklyn DA did a great thing where they held basically an open house. If you came to the Brooklyn Courthouse to the DA's office and you had a misdemeanor or a violation marijuana conviction on your record, they would seal them. They would just fill out the paperwork. Normally you have to sign a petition, you have to go to court to attempt to get your case sealed. They were just doing it, which I think is somewhat bold, but also effective. And it seems to be the right thing to do because if you have someone who's been convicted of what was a crime and now isn't, Morally speaking, are they not on the same footing? Shouldn't they be treated the same way? So 
what the left really wants is a firmer plan in place in order to do exactly that on a grander scale so that everyone, especially who have criminal convictions as a result of it, as opposed to just violations, that they have the chance to seal those records up because they weren't just, they weren't committing a crime as it stands now. The real crime for them was just doing it at the wrong time prior to the legalization. Getting the cases sealed is absolutely a big sticking point and I foresee it being at the front of conversations about actually implementing the law. How do these state laws compare with federal laws? Is there still a disconnect? There is still a disconnect and I don't believe under this administration at least we're going to see that change. But down the line there is going to have to be nationwide federal change. Uh, marijuana is still listed as a Schedule A drug next to heroin, next to other drugs where just from an objective point of view it really doesn't belong. If you want to say, okay, it's still a drug that we don't want to have out in the hands of the public, that's an understandable position, but treat it the same way as use the same criteria that you use for every other drug that's on that list. I mean, cocaine is a Schedule B. How insane is that? But because it has some recognized medicinal purposes, it's placed on the Schedule B, as opposed to marijuana Schedule A. So you have this kind of horrifying situation where people, if they're caught with marijuana and it just happens to fall under federal jurisdiction, they're also subject to mandatory minimum sentencing guidelines. So if someone gets convicted of that, the judge doesn't even have the discretion that one would have at the state level to say, well, I know it's this level of crime, but given the current political climate and the direction we're heading, I'm going to be very lenient. A federal judge being lenient is still going to give you the lowest part of what the minimum guidelines tell them to do. It's, it's a much harsher system. You, you really do not want to be arrested for a federal crime. How would you be arrested for federally holding pot versus locally holding pot? Usually it has to involve interstate commerce, which is a very amorphous concept. But as it usually plays out, it's involving going over state lines if you're transporting. That's when the feds will take an interest. Because federal law enforcement is always kind of a whack-a-mole type process. They focus on one type of crime and they build out that branch and they really go after people involved in whatever that is for a period of time and then there's a new hot topic and that's what they focus on. Right now marijuana is really not at the top of the list. Right now obviously you've seen in the news that there, there's a huge crackdown on immigration crimes and that's completely taking over the federal criminal dockets. If you go back a few years it was organized crime. Before that it was the scourge of crack cocaine. They, they really kind of go with a flavor of the month approach and, and marijuana is really not there now nor has it generally been there since the 60s. What does this mean for employers if my company has a drug policy and this law does get adopted, what then? You can still have drug policies in place that implicate marijuana. It's not as though this law will pass and suddenly you have to allow your employees to get high on the job. It's the same thing with alcohol. You can have policies that state you can't use alcohol while you're on the job and that's a perfectly legitimate business concern. Same thing with marijuana. It doesn't really affect an employer's ability to maintain a strong drug policy. 
I would argue that it even allows employers greater freedom as opposed to alcohol because under Title VII, which is the discrimination laws for the workplace at the federal level, alcoholism would fall under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So you can't discriminate against someone and either not hire them, fire them, take some adverse employment action against them because of their status as an alcoholic or else you are potentially in violation of federal laws. Now, that doesn't mean to say you have to let them get drunk on the job or X, Y, Z, but just the mere knowledge that they were or are an alcoholic, but it's not affecting their job performance, they fall within a protected class because it's considered a disability. Marijuana has no such quality to it. And part of the reason they're looking towards legalizing it is because of the lack of evidence that it's a physically addicting drug. So you would be able to discriminate pretty much at will against potential employees and employees who engage in use of marijuana. If you wanted to have on your applications, do you smoke marijuana? Have you smoked marijuana within the last few years? You would be well within your rights to do so. So if we do a test and someone had choked up over the weekend and the THC shows up in their urine sample? Absolutely. Even if it was legal? Yes. You'd still be able... still have the ability to. You would still have the ability to, absolutely. There's, there's a common misunderstanding about workplace discrimination laws, which is people tend to think discrimination of all kind is prevented by these laws or prescribed by these laws. It's not. If you have a boss who hates people with green hair and someone has a great interview, everything else, they're top of the top of the heap and he says, well, yeah, but they had green hair. I don't like green hair. Not hired. Perfectly acceptable. You're only prevented from discriminating against people who fall within a certain protected class as defined by the law. And one of those classes is people with certain disabilities of which alcoholism can be considered a disability versus I think a potential plaintiff would have an extremely uphill battle proving that they have a marijuana addiction and therefore have a disability. It just does not seem like an easy sell. Even before this bill passes, I've seen places now that sell CBD products. What makes those legal and marijuana itself not? That's a great question. Uh, CBD oil is a entirely different product than the THC concentrated marijuana. Marijuana is made from a different part of the plant. CBD oil is an actual mature hemp extract that has below a certain level of THC in it. The last I checked, I believe, as a result of the Farm Bill last year that passed, it's either less than 1 or less than 1.5% THC. So it's been given sort of carte blanche to go out and sell these CBD products, which is why you've seen such an explosion of it. It didn't seem to even exist last year, and now it's in everything. And it's on the stock market. And you see companies that are entering into a partnerships agreements with Anheuser Coors, with Budweiser, it's become a major, major business. There are still some industries that they're not yet clear as to how they can move forward and what the outer bounds of that ability to market this CBD is, which has led to a really interesting situation, especially this week, where the, I believe it was the chief of the FDA, stepped down, which there was a lot of speculation going around and stock prices were going crazy in both the marijuana industry and in the beverage industry because the next big thing is going to be CBD infused beverages and that's potentially going to be a big market 
However, CBD beverages have not been addressed by regulations put forward in relation to the Farm Bill. So we're not even sure at this point whether or not that's something that can be marketed, to what extent it can be marketed, what are the regulations that are going to be in place for it. Now with the previous FDA chair, it seemed he was very CBD friendly and that helped build this speculative bubble that's begun to arise. But now that it's kind of up in the air as to who's going to be put into that position, it, it's anybody's guess. But CBD, hugely different product than marijuana. It's got some support that it does help with nausea, anxiety. It's sort of become its own marketing force. It, it's one of these things where it's probably not doing all the amazing things that it says it's doing for you. But the important thing as far as the government is concerned is it's not getting you high. If I drink a CBD infused beverage, will it show up on a tax screen? That is a very good question. My belief would generally be no unless you're drinking massive quantities of it every single day. Even as it stands now, if someone's not a frequent marijuana smoker, if they smoke marijuana, it's usually out of their system within a few days versus someone who smokes all the time or uses marijuana products all the time, it can last in their system for over a month. It it's, gets stored in your fat, your fat cells. So it builds up, unlike other drugs. If we're talking stimulants, other things that go, are processed differently than marijuana, they're in and out of your system within 48 hours. Unless you have a terrible problem, you're usually not getting caught on drug tests. It, it makes a weird situation where, generally speaking, for, for most of the cases where people do register positive on drug tests, it's for marijuana which isn't necessarily indicative that someone's going to be a bad employee. There's a large percentage of Americans who smoke pot. It just is what it is. But that's really the majority of people who are getting shown up on drug tests. CBD, you would have to be drinking a lot of it or using it a lot in order for it to show up. I would almost compare it to, you know, the legend of the poppy seed bagels, where if someone eats too many poppy seed bagels, they can show up positive for opiates. It's, is it something that's theoretically possible? Absolutely. Is it likely to happen? No. How does the New York law differ from other states? I know, like you said, Massachusetts has an ongoing law. Colorado, I think, was one of the first. Yes. How does the New York law differ? New York law differs in two key respects, the first of which is actually a pretty interesting and good idea, I think, is the splitting up of the licenses. Uh, most states that have legalized it have pretty broad-based marijuana licenses for dispensaries and everything else. Uh, New York is splitting up the licensing into there's a license for manufacture, there's a license for distribution, and there's a license for retail. And the interesting part of that law is you can only hold two of them at once and you cannot hold both a manufacturer and a retail. So the way that that ends up shaking out, economically speaking, is that the money flows upwards, as always, and what's likely going to happen is you will have companies who have a license for manufacturer and distribution, which means they can't have a retail license. And those are going to be the big players, which is a big concern. There already is an established marijuana industry in Canada. There's already an established marijuana industry in several other states. So part of the concern, uh, especially coming from the left, is that once this is legalized, the people who are going to reap the benefit of it is just going to be a company that swoops in and takes over the market. It's a legitimate concern. 
especially when one of the stated reasons for the bill was that they want to try and get the money from this new market into the communities that these laws damaged for so long. By splitting up the licenses that way, what would most likely happen in my opinion would be that the large companies will absolutely swoop in but they're going to take over the manufacturing distribution it leaves the door open for retail which usually has the lowest barriers of entry anyway so you're going to end up with at least to begin with a number of mom and pop shops uh, a number of small individually owned shops that do open up and take up the retail licenses whereas the more established players will definitely have a hand in the market, but they'll primarily be in the manufacture and distribution area, which, again, that license structure is quite different. Uh, another thing, and we touched on this earlier, with the intention that the money go to communities that have been harmed by these laws in the past, that has not really been attempted by any other state. It's been used in the wording of the law and just said as like a general, this would be great type of proposition, but no one's actually inserted language into statute in order to make it a reality. It's more of a, a noble idea as a result of the bill rather than language being included as to, you know, maybe there's local tax breaks for certain communities that are lower on the socioeconomic scale something of that sort where it will be forced that it's not just hopefully it will help these communities it's that absolutely they'll help the communities because it's written into the law itself so that's a lot of what the left is pushing for and i do believe that that will end up working its way into the final bill and that'll be very different than any other state's marijuana laws what about people who want to grow their own it's an interesting question um, and there's been some deferring sources on that uh, the original report of the bill indicated that you would still not be able to grow at home, which is a little silly if you're allowed to go buy it and it grows in the dirt. It's kind of, it doesn't seem like a very enforceable law. That being said, from my understanding, there's a revised version of the bill, which again has not been publicly presented yet in its final form. But the revised version of the bill does allow you to grow up to six plants at home. Again, good luck enforcing that. but. I guess it's something that they can say. So where is the bill? The currently? bill was intended to be included as part of the governor's budget, which was intended to be a means to push along a somewhat controversial bill because they have to pass a budget. As we've learned frequently in the last several years, that is not an automatic go anymore. People will shut down the government over a budget dispute. So it does seem like Cuomo has backed off of that plan quite a bit. He does as recently as today or yesterday made a statement that he's less confident that it'll get be done this session and as soon as someone's saying they're less confident it's going to be done this session what that really means is it's not getting done this session that being said all the pieces are in play you have a democrat controlled house you have a democrat controlled state legislature and you have a democratic governor who's got a bill that's got wide support uh what's really the only thing holding it up is there are concerns from both sides and when you have concerns from both sides you know you have a problem my expectation is he'll pander a little bit more to the left and include that language or whatever amendments to it that will enforce that the ultimate good that comes from this, economically speaking, goes to communities that have been damaged by the laws in the past. I don't think he'll necessarily bend too much to the right because the right generally doesn't want the bill at all. 
but the votes are there, the pieces are there, and this is a historic moment. Uh, all the pieces are in play to make this work. Uh, it's just a, a matter of working out the semantics. Uh, I believe that this is a bill that will pass next year. And if it passes next year, it's my understanding, the implementation phase of it is about three years' time. So even if it passed next year, it wouldn't be immediate. Every, it's legal everywhere. It, there's a process. They would need to build out this new agency that they've discussed. They'd need to actually issue regulations that clarify parts of the bill. That involves a process of people who are involved in the industry. Often they'll propose a regulation, which is then open for a period of time to questions, clarifications before it becomes a formal rule. There's a whole machinery that has to take place and have effect before the doors come off, so to speak. I'm just vaguely curious on who gets to deal with the edibles, if that's the FDA or the... That's a great question, and that, that also brings me to another point I, I want to make just about how it's enforced here in Nassau County. It's an unusual thing because if you get caught with marijuana, the plant, you get charged under 221.xyz. That's the 221 series that's specifically related to marijuana. If you get caught with edibles or any other type of concentrated cannabis where it's been manufactured in some capacity, they're not charging you under the marijuana statute. They're charging you under 220.03, which is criminal possession of a controlled substance. It's the same charge that you'd get if you had heroin. It's the same charge you would get if you had crack, which is absolutely insane and doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So pot is a misdemeanor, pot brownies is a felony? No, more like if you have a small amount of marijuana, pot is a violation and pot brownies would be a misdemeanor. But yes, as it scales on either end, the misdemeanors become felonies. It's, it's treated differently. It is, at least in charging. The thing is, in a weird twist of fate, the court realizes what's happening when they look at a, a misdemeanor complaint for 220.03 and see you know, edible gummy bears versus crack cocaine. And what they're doing is the 170.56 adjournment in contemplation of dismissal we spoke about earlier is specific to marijuana. It's for a year. You stay out of trouble, case is dismissed. The more generic adjournment in contemplation of dismissal is 170.55. And that time period is actually only six months. So you stay out of trouble for six months and, and it's dismissed. What's ended up happening is if someone's charged with 220.03, they're getting the 170.55, six month adjournment and contemplation dismissal. And the person who's caught with the actual plant is getting the 170.56, one year adjournment and contemplation dismissal. So they're ending up with a lower actual penalty or potential penalty period than the person who's actually getting charged under the marijuana law. So the attempt to overcharge w these gummies and other things as a higher drug is actually backfiring on whoever has developed this plan to charge that more heavily. Uh, very unusual time to be practicing. As a criminal attorney, how does this affect your client base? As it stands now, unfortunately, even though as we discussed earlier, what usually happens for first-time marijuana offenders or continued low-level marijuana offenders is they are entitled to the first time to an ACOD, and they're often being granted further times these ACODs. What's an ACOD? An adjournment in contemplation of dismissal. The judges 
however, require that you be represented by counsel. So if someone comes in and they can't afford an attorney, they're assigned legal aid. But a lot of times the people being caught for marijuana are not eligible. You're talking about college students, you're talking about professionals, and oftentimes they don't qualify for legal aid. So they will have to go out and retain an attorney. And that's where I come in. Um, and a lot of the times it's really just to show up to court and be present so that they can offer him an adjournment in contemplation of dismissal, which seems silly almost. I mean, I hate to cut into my own pocket here, but I'm not needed for a lot of those situations. If the offer is going to be an adjournment in contemplation of dismissal, I don't see a reason why an attorney is necessary there. It's just wasted money. In the future, in terms of how this bill would affect me once it passes, I don't foresee it having a huge effect, honestly, because it's still going to be illegal to smoke out in public. It's still going to have rules and regulations in place where I expect that violations of those rules in certain fashions would fall still under criminal law rather than general agency regulation, especially when we're talking about growing without a license, selling without a license. Those are still going to remain criminal acts, and it's still going to take place because the market is going to be there and the prices are going to drop because the supply will be so much more readily available. And if someone has a choice of buying you know, $15 worth from their friend and it's the same amount that they would be paying $40 worth at the store, they're still gonna buy from their friend and they're both still gonna be committing a crime. So I believe that there will still be plenty of criminal activity, at least as defined by statute, still happening. If someone has more questions about the criminal law in Nassau County in New York State and more about the marijuana law, how can they reach out to you? Absolutely. Uh, my website is johnstonlawny.com. All of my contact information is there. My phone number is 516-388-7611. Happy to answer any questions that you have in relation to either marijuana possession, any type of criminal violation that you might be facing. Also, I'd like to put it out there that if there's people who are looking to get involved in the marijuana production industry, once the bill has rolled out, people who want to see about what it's going to take to get retail licenses, uh, I'm also open to having conversations with them to see what I can do for them. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you for listening to the LIPN Podcast, brought to you by the Long Island Professional Network and produced by Smith Douglas Associates. To learn more about the LIPN, visit our website at lipn.org or join our meetup under Long Island Professional Network.